0: scripture reading for today can be found in 1 Chronicles, the 21st chapter, verses 18 through 26. It's in your bulletin and on the screen. Prepare your heart and mind for the reading of this holy text. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to tell David that he should go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornon the Jebusite. So David went up following Gad's instructions, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Ornan turned and saw the angel. And while his four sons who were with him hid themselves, Ornan continued to thresh wheat. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David. He went out from the threshing floor and did obeisance to David with his face to the ground. David said to Ornon, give me the site of the threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord. Give it to me at its full price so that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Ornon said to David, take it and let my Lord, the king, do what seems good to him. See, I present the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat for a grain offering." I give it all. But King David said to Ornan, No, I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David paid Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. David built there an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and offerings of well being. He called upon the Lord, and he answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Pastors go through uh, an education called seminary. It's a master's degree program, usually about three years. And Pastor Maggie is going through that program now. Because it's distance education, it's a little bit longer. She's doing really well, by the way, making good grades. You are. And, you know, she's learning a lot. I mean, I, I went through it a long time ago, the same school. And what they really highlight is learning the scriptures, learning the Old Testament, the New Testament, as well as reading some of the foundational writings of Christians over about 2,000 years, along with church history. There's a lot of interesting moments in church history where, where groups of people get different ideas, and they start battling each other, and then they, of course, break and form different denominations. And this happens over and over again in church history. This is all the things that they force you to read, and to study, and to learn so that you're ready for ministry. And of course, once you get to the church, the local church, what you find out is nobody taught you how to lead a meeting. (laughs) Nobody taught you how to do accounting for a nonprofit organization. Nobody really taught you how to do the nuts and bolts of the daily tasks of ministry. That's just the thing you're supposed to learn on the fly. Now, there was one exception to this, and that was when I was in school, I learned Uh, about stewardship. I took one class on stewardship from a professor who was a pastor. He was not a PhD, and his name was Dr. Quick. And he talked to us one day about the offering. And he told us that when we get the offering plates, before we hand them out to the ushers, we should take them and turn and lift them up uh, above the altar. And so it would look like this, and he would say this to us, God, no matter what we say or do, this is what we think of you. And then they would pass the plates to the congregation. That's a little bit of a manipulation, don't you think? It's sort of, you look around to see, okay, what do people think about God, right? Who's putting something in? Are you glad that we don't do that here? (laughs) We've got a view that giving is about generosity and and hope, and, and God is asking us to do something wonderful in his name. This is not about guilting, although Dr. Quick wasn't that wrong. What we give does have something to say about what we think about God. Now, Another thing you're probably thankful for is that sometimes in other churches, usually not mainline churches like Episcopals or Methodists, when the pastor gets the plates back and it feels a little light, do you know what they do? They hand it back to the ushers and they go and do a second offering until the pastor feels like there's enough weight in there. I've known people to bring a bunch of coins to try to weigh the plate down before. We don't do that, of course, because we think God— is good. We think God is generous. We believe, as we talked about last week, God desires to work with us to make a difference in the world in his name, not for our glory, but God wants to be partners with us. So how we live, how we serve, how we give speaks volumes about what we think about God. So that really starts us with the question of, well, what does God want us to think about Him? What does God want us to think about God? And God reveals this to us. We hear that God loves us and wants to partner with us. He makes covenants with people in the Old Testament to be in partnership together. He sends Jesus, and Jesus just doesn't take care of everything on His own. He gathers disciples. He enters into partnership with human beings He not only gets the Jewish folks to follow him, but he opens up the doors to other people, to Gentiles, and empowers them to reach other people. There's something about partnership that God desires with us. He doesn't want to just do things for us. He wants us out of our free will to respond to him. Now, this passage that we read today from 1 Chronicles, shares a little bit about that. But to understand the full gravity of the situation, we need to go back to the very beginning of the chapter to understand what's happening. Because where we jump in, David is told by Gad, his prophet, his seer, that he needs to buy this land and to build an altar on it. And so, and so, David does. But why does he even have to do this? If you go back even before 1 Chronicles chapter 21, you'll notice that Saul was the king, but Saul did not really work in partnership with God. Saul began caring only about himself and his power. And so God ended up getting a new king. And that new king was not just anyone. It was the young, humble shepherd boy David. David was a shepherd and that was a really important thing in scripture because God wanted the kings, the leaders of people, not to lord over them and to demand that they get all the spoils of war to themselves. No, the kings of Israel were supposed to be God's representatives and they were supposed to live as shepherds taking care of the people in the name of God. So David was the perfect choice. And when David partnered with God, he was successful. Victory after victory after victory, it almost became just something that they were used to. They were always going to win with God working through David. And that is until 1 Chronicles 21. You see, something happened. And and the Bible tells us that it was Satan or the evil one that sort of entered into this scenario and caused David not to trust in God, but instead to take a census of all the able-bodied young men in all of Israel. All the able-bodied men, anyone who could pick up a sword was to be counted. And his commander, his closest commander, who was a relative, was asked to do this. And he felt bad about it. He kind of felt like he was dishonoring God by doing this. So he didn't even count all the people. He just reported back there were a million people that could fight for David. He didn't add up everyone. You see, what ended up happening, it seems, is that David, in that simple accounting Of his resources, his people, his warriors, he was not trusting in God. God was the one that would usually say, go here, do this, take this many men with you. Instead, David started thinking about his own power, his own army. He was becoming more of a warlord with an army instead of being the shepherd of God's people. And because of this, that partnership was broken and David needs to repair it. In fact, people in his, in his, his community, his, his flock, about 70,000 of them died during this three days of the consequences of David doing the wrong thing and thinking of himself instead of thinking of God. In order to make it right, David is told by Gad to go to this threshing floor and to purchase it and turn it into an altar for God. Now, what is a threshing floor? A threshing floor is usually a sort of open dirt area, sometimes even stoned area, usually round, where they would take wheat from the fields and just throw it on the ground. And then someone would come with this wooden sledge, the sled almost. And if you can look on there, you'll notice that there are dots in there. That's usually sort of ragged rocks or sharp objects were sort of put into this sled, if you will. And it was dragged over the wheat, sometimes by a person. Sometimes somebody would stand on the the sled there, the sledge, to put pressure on it to further grind up the wheat, the chaff from the grain. And sometimes even something like a donkey or an oxen would pull that around. And so all of the wheat would be broken up. And then... They would usually be in places where there was a lot of wind. In this case, this was on a hillside. They would take a pitchfork or something like it and take all that content and just throw it in the air. And the chaff, the the wheat leftovers, would just sort of blow away on the wind, but the grain was heavy enough that it would fall back down to the ground. And so you would, in a sense, have this grain left over. And this grain would be used to form what? What? bread, right? They would make bread. And over a third of an Israelite's diet during this time was bread. This was an important way of making food. This was a place that fed many, many, many people. And that takes us a little bit further into this idea of give us this day our daily bread. They needed that bread to survive. Some of us haven't touched bread in years because it's carbs, right? But they needed it to, to, to survive. David was told to purchase this place. And if, if this is the very place that we're talking about, then Ornan's threshing floor, the place that made bread, where David purchased and made an altar, and then the temple was built upon it, is the very same place where the temple exists now in Israel. The temple mound where the Dome of the Rock Mosque is now, where the Wailing Wall is now, would have been right there on top of Ornan's threshing floor today. So what David did was to build this altar as a way of reestablishing his partnership with God, reestablishing himself as trusting in God. You make an offering to God, not to pay off God or win his favor, but to enter into a partnership with God, to enter into a covenant with God, to be part of a relationship with God. David is not earning back God's love and respect. He is putting skin in the game, so to speak. And that's why when Ornan offers to pay or to at least give the land away for free and the oxen and the wood from the threshing sledge, David says, no. David says, I am not going to take from you and give to God. That's not what this is about. He needs to reinvest. He needs to take something valuable and pay an offering to God. Again, not out of some kind of duty or being owed, in God's debt, but to reestablish that relationship. And that's what happens. David reconnects and reestablishes it. He knows that a sacrifice that doesn't cost him anything is not a sacrifice. But really, it's not about the sacrifice. It's about what David thinks about God. Does David live and serve and give because of who God is? Does he trust in God or does he go off and do his own thing and trust in himself or his army? That's where this all started. God wants to repair that relationship and to have David believe that God is on his side. Not for his sake, but because of the covenant he's made with him. And that God is good and faithful and he's going to take care of him no matter how many troops he has. So hopefully you see that this whole story is not just about how the temple came to be on this site in Jerusalem. It's also about what God wants us to think of him. God desires for us to see him as generous, as kind, as good, and as a giving, loving father who wants to be in partnership with us. You may have uh, read or heard of The the seminal book, Mere Christianity, by author C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis tells a story in Mere Christianity about how a father was was sitting there one day. I just envisioned him in a leather recliner in a library, right? An old-fashioned library, because it's C.S. Lewis. And he's sitting there, and his son comes up to him. And the son says, Daddy, give me six pence so that I can go and buy you a birthday present. And C.S. Lewis goes on to talk about whether or not this this father is sixpence to the good or, or not. And if you've ever heard that 1990s love song, Kiss Me by Sixpence, None the Richer, now you know where they get their band, their band name from C.S. Lewis. That has nothing to do with this. I just thought of it and I had to say something. So, sixpence. The father is then... In the situation of, do I give my son sixpence to go and give, get me a gift and give it to me? Or do I just keep the money and buy something for myself? Right? Well, the father, if he's a good father, knows that something given from someone who loves you means a lot more than just something you go out and buy. The partnership, the relationship that is set up there is that the father gives the son who doesn't have anything sixpence, which is about 50 cents today. It's not much. To go and buy a present to bring it to him. And it could be something that he's always wanted or something that would be meaningful. Hopefully it's not going to be one of those ties we have to fake liking and put in our closet hiding it away. I'm just kidding, kids. We don't do that. We are partners. God is the father who gives us the blessings and then we use that to go and honor him. Take it from another example. What if that same child comes to the father and says, father, can I have sixpence so that I can go to the store and buy a coat for my friend Tommy at school? He doesn't have a coat. Is the father a good father who's going to say, no, 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 let's go together and we'll buy a nicer coat for him. Or is he going to say, Tommy's daddy can buy him a coat? We're not Tommy's family. If God is the Father, then He wants to be in partnership with us to go and purchase the coat because it's going to bring something good to the person, but it's also going to honor the Father. Years ago, I was an associate pastor at a large church here in Birmingham, and we did something called a reverse offering. You may have heard of this before. A normal offering is that you put money in the plate, right? And then we take it and we put it in missions. We keep the lights on, etc. A reverse offering, the finance office of the church puts cash in envelopes and puts it in an offering plate and then we pass it out to the congregation. And this is not about trying to make you feel a little bit better because we gave you $5 back of the $100 you gave us or something like that. It was about mission, we gave out the envelopes. Some of them had $1 bills, some of them had $5 bills, some had $10 bills. And we gave it out one Sunday. And we said, take this money and do something for God. Serve someone, honor someone, feed someone. If you're willing, try to make it grow so that you can give something more. So we challenge them not only to just take that cash and to give it to the first person on the side of the road, but instead to think about how they could invest or grow that money and make an even bigger difference. You know, you hear that story about uh, the faith of a child, right? And how the children among us have the bigger faith, the, the adults around They usually have more of a real-world way of thinking. Well, there were some children there. Their family picked up an envelope that had $5 in it. So this little girl said, I know what I want to do with this money. I want to give it to Children's Hospital because my friend has cancer and is being treated there. So this little girl got a couple of other girls who lived in the community together. They were all in school together and all knew this little boy. And they went to the grocery store and bought lemonade mix. They bought what they needed for a lemonade stand. And they went out there one day and they had their lemonade stand. And as cars were coming by, someone would stop and give a dollar and get a cold glass of lemonade. It was kind of a hot May, I think, it was when we did this. And then when they found out why they were doing it, they would pull out more money. They wouldn't just put a dollar And they would give more and more and more. And at the end of one day, these girls raised over $100 for Children's Hospital to help fund the place that was making a difference in their kids, their friend's life. And it all came from these children believing that they could make a difference, that God was good, and that God wanted to be in partnership with them. They just believed that God could do something amazing through them. How we think about God is revealed in how we live and how we serve and how we give. We can think that all things are possible when we believe in a God who makes all things possible. Remember Mary? She couldn't believe that she was going to be the mother of the Son of God and what did the angel say? With God All things are possible. Nothing is impossible. If we believe in God as being able to do it, and if we believe that God wants to partner with us, there's no telling what can happen when we give, when we take leaps of faith. I mean, can you imagine the kind of things that have happened when people gave to honor Greg Faust so many years ago to put this Angels Among Us grant together... Do you think that they knew how many people's lives would be touched by every grant that goes out? I know some people have heard about the the, uh, labyrinth that we are going to hopefully build right outside these walls, and it's going to be a place where people can walk and pray and be in the presence of God. And I know a few people probably deep inside their head are just thinking, well, that's just going to be a pretty garden that nobody's going to go to. I don't know, maybe I'm like those girls in the lemonade stand. I just have this vision that maybe by next Thanksgiving, when the doors of the church are locked because everybody's out having dinner and seeing family, that there's gonna be a space outside where someone whose life is falling apart or is having terrible relationships with their family has a place to come and be in the presence of God that is not locked or closed. Can we believe that God can do these things? Do we believe God is going to do these things? That changes how we live and act, how we serve and how we give. I want to challenge you during this season of Thanksgiving that we're at, it's not just a speed bump on the way to the Iron Bowl and Thanksgiving, the Iron Bowl and Christmas and all of that. It's, It's literally a time to be thankful, to take account for what God has given to us Take some time to count your blessings. Don't just power through eating a ton of turkey and falling asleep watching NFL. Talk amongst your family or your friends. Talk about what you're thankful for. It may be hard to come up with a lot of things, but there's something. Name your blessings and connect the dots between the blessings that you have that you're grateful for and the God that gave them to you. And not only that, think about... God and who God is. Come up with some names or ideas or descriptions about God and who God is, and then connect the dots to you and how you can partner with God to make a difference. What can you do? What's on your calendar that needs to be put aside so that you've got time for God? What is a resource that you have tucked away that can be used by God? What is a gift that you can give to someone in need? that will make all the difference in the world. If God is good and God is active, you may not know it immediately. You may not even know it a while from now, but there will be ways in which God's partnership in and through you will make all the difference. Amen. Let us pray. Most holy and loving God, we give you thanks for this life, for every breath and for all the blessings that we have. Help us to think of you in the ways that you desire us to think of you. Help us to honor you and to reflect you in the way we live. Help us to be thankful, to be grateful, and to know that we are in a covenant with you that you seek to work in and through us in all we do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.